Our world is dying, politicians are lying, and just when you feel like crying, sit and have a listen to people who have shit themselves. Hi, I'm Evie. I'm Claudia. And we are the hosts of The Poodcast, a podcast where we talk about shits and giggles, <laughs> which we have written on the plan, which I like a lot, uh, and we discuss people pooing themselves. Uh, and as well as that, The Poodcast is a podcast that will focus on and discuss the issues surrounding bowel conditions, such as IBS, IBD, uh, Crohn's, colitis, celiac disease, and many, many more. So this normally begins with me asking Claudia how her bum is and how her tum is but Claudia I want to know how is your ankle oh I was really looking forward to telling you how my bum and my tum is but that's you can fine. do that as well I'll tell you about that later okay. no my ankle is actually doing all right I'm pleased to say the space boot that I had to wear went with many of my summer outfits fantastic but I've been quite happy because it means I don't have to go to any more doctor's appointments Yes, which and I don't think I told you when I got to A and E to get my ankle looked at. A and E was completely like it's completely roped off, obviously because of coronavirus. Yeah, but you know, like when you're a kid and you make a den, and like somebody has to do like a special knock, 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 and like the password is like banana or something. Yeah, that's what it was like when when I got there. There was just a rope across the entrance and I was like hobbling along. My poor taxi driver was sweating because when I asked him to drop me off at A&E, I saw him literally tense up and I said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's for my ankle. Oh, and he, he, was like, he thought, yeah. oh no, she's got, she's got COVID. So that was a whole thing. And then he dropped me off and then I hobble over and there's just this massive sign that all says like danger, no entry, no entry. And I'm like, where do I go now? And then just suddenly out pops this little head like, Hello. Like and I was drive like, through. Yeah, or... but it wasn't like, hello. It was like, what do you want? There was just this little head at the door. And I was like, hi, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for A&E. <laughs> Who sent you? <laughs> and I was like, one, one, one. One, one, one sends everyone. And I was like, okay, I'm really sorry. And it was this whole drama about even getting to have my foot checked. So I'm just really happy that I don't have to deal with any more doctors about it, any more A&E, any more hospital appointments, because I hate doctor's appointments. I, hate I mean, I feel like you've had a bit of a, a bad time with doctor's appointments, haven't you? It's not been the best ones. What was that one where you had a, a medical student? Oh my God, poor Sally. Sally? <laughs> yeah, her name, was, her name was Sally. She had a badge. Oh, so Sally. I, basically, I, I, at my sister's graduation, was wearing these very nice, what is it with me and flares? Again, I was wearing these very Don't nice flares that were so tight that basically my pants had been rubbing and rubbing. And a few days later, I remember it really well because I remember finding this cyst just as Donald Trump um, got like inaugurated. <laughs> and I remember being like, this is a sign. Um, and so there was just like this, this kind of like weird cyst spot lump thing where my pants had been. And I was obviously very concerned about it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because where the rubbing had occurred from the tight flares. But anyway, so I go to the, I go to the doctors and the doctor's like, oh, I hope you don't mind. Sally's going to be sat in. Sally's sat in the corner. Sally just can't wait to find out about my little cyst. And so that was... <laughs> so that Can was, I ask you just... You don't have to say specifically. Where was the cyst? Do we want to... It, you know... I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, what is it? Is, is it a labia majora? <laughs> <laughs> was it? Is that what it is? Yeah. I yeah. want to say that's what so it is. Right or left? 
left left it was definitely so left. listeners that is the left labia majora i love that Just you co- could see me dodging that and then so you thought, were come like- on, with pants cover especially if i'm wearing them basically a continent so we need to know exactly where the cyst is and it was on your left labia majora yeah so basically what you have there is um a cyst of the foof is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah, that's what they said to me. Okay. Sally was like, oh, yes, a classic cyst of the foof okay, there, Doc. so you've got your cyst. So, I had to, the so they then have to get me up on the table and I have to take down my pants so they can look at it. And then they give me these antibiotics that are going to help the swelling oh, go down. You antibiotics? Yeah, so I had to go on antibiotics. But the antibiotics they put me on made me then really, really constipated. So then oh, I then, I was waddling around looking like a cowboy or like a penguin because of this cyst, but then also because I was so constipated and I was in so much pain. So then a week later, I had to go back to the doctors oh. because I hadn't gone to the toilet. Like oh, it was, a week? Like literally, at least it was like at least four days, oh, I remember God, it being. Yeah. So I had to go back to the doctors, walk in, and bloody Sally sat there. <laughs> And they're like, oh, I hope you don't mind Sally. I was like, me and Sally know each other well. Like, <laughs> we've met. Me and Sally have met. And so then I had to get on the table again. And then this time, they had to put a finger up my bottom. <sighs> and Sally was there for that too. I feel like I'm going to have to invite it's Sally around my house, to be honest. It does sound a bit like you were sort of going to these medical appointments with the uh, sort of hope that you're going to... That me and Sally would <laughs> run into each other again. That it's in week three. Uh, I seem to have a problem with my nipple, Sally, just, if you just want to... Just going up to the desk and like, is Sally in today? Yeah, okay, good. No, then I do need to see the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> She's not, I can come back. But I mean, you had a, a similar... Uh, a similar bad medical I I had a really really bad uh, doctor's appointment where I um I bruised I thought I bruised my coccyx so the coccyx I'm pretty sure is sort of the lower part of your spine Mm. um I sat down really hard on a chair with like a metal arm because I sort of missed the seat and I went I don't don't know if the listeners will hear that sort of she was clapping her hands together that's a sort of crack I sat down really hard and it was very painful and I said this to my friend um who had also done something similar I think what she did she actually slipped in the shower and landed on a tap on her coccyx when she was about 16 and she (laughs) it's actually belter of a story but she had to go in and she ended up getting a finger up the bum to feel and they just said yeah you've got you've got bruised coccyx and she's like oh great I've just had a finger up my ass to tell me something I already knew um and yeah, so I basically went to the doctor. I thought, oh, well, Ella had a finger up her ass. I might have to. Where's mine? <laughs> so it's only fair. Um, so I basically went in thinking, I'm going to say, obviously, I've bruised my coccyx. And I'm expecting now that, that that might happen. They might have to do that. So I was mentally prepared. And I went went in and I thought I said to them, I've got a bit of a bruised coccyx. I don't know if you'll need to sort of, you know, investigate. And the doctor, male doctor, looked quite disconcerting he said that's fine but I will need to get a female staff member I need to get a female nurse in so I was like okay you know Sally (laughs) so in comes Sally (laughs) putting on a glove (laughs) Uh, so they got a female staff member and I thought okay fair enough if he needs to put a finger up my bottom they maybe want a woman in there absolutely fine and then they sat down and got these sheets out all these forms and then they were like so have you um have you been paid for sex recently? I thought, this is odd. I wonder where this is going. Perhaps this is just, you know, some sort of, um, you know, coverall bases questionnaire, every sort of, you know, young woman they get and maybe they want to ask these questions. So I said, well, not that I know of. 
are you offering? Uh, no, I didn't say that. I, said, I did find a pound coin next to my bedside table the <laughs> other day. <laughs> uh, and I said no, and then said, okay, have you had a particularly rough sex? I thought, no, I really don't know what this has to do with the accident. And I was trying to explain that it was involving a chair and you know I'd sat down and they didn't seem as interested in that they just said and you know when does it hurt and I said oh you know sometimes if I bend down and she was very concerned sort of sort of scribbling away um and then they said oh we'll need to do an internal examination I thought here we go here's the finger up the bum as expected she's ready get on the bed so I sort of lay on my side thinking she was gonna Sally was gonna go in and and she said oh no no could you actually just take all your bottom half off. I thought, that does seem very excessive. Oh, Fine. And then she got, you know, those like um, stirrups. She put my foot in the stirrups and then she just put her finger into my vagina. What? And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This Where is, is your coccyx? I know. And then I was like, can you feed it there? And she was rummaging around. She was like, rummaging around, <laughs> looking for some loose change. Uh, and then she was like, okay, yeah, to be honest, your cervix feels fine. It doesn't feel bruised. And I realized I must have said my, bruised my cervix. And then I didn't have the heart to say, oh, <laughs> could you actually, while you're there? <laughs> Could you change the coccyx? So I just pretended like my problems were solved. And anyway, I just Googled it and they said the bruising will probably go down in a few months. So I just left it. So you just said thank you for checking I just cervix. said thank you, as I hoped. My cervix is fine. I will leave now. But I'm just worried that that's always going to be on my record. <laughs> so if you have ever, have you ever had a, a doctor's appointment gone wrong? Perhaps a misunderstanding of an examination? If you want to email us in about that, make us feel better. Because we've not even scratched the surface. I've got at least... Well, clearly they've scratched something. They've both been scratching inside us everywhere, haven't they? Just going to say that's horrible. I'm sorry for saying that. That's fine. Permission to discuss condition. So this week, our focus will be on Crohn's disease. And we are so lucky to have with us Lois Mills. Lois is an IBD blogger and YouTuber with her brilliant blog and channel Gut Instincts. And her sheer honesty and vulnerability mixed with absolute hilarity on Gut Instinct is why she is one of our favorite voices within the bladder and bowel community. And not only does she inspire her followers on how to live day to day with Crohn's disease, but she has extended friendship and made connections within the community by hosting Crohn's and colitis brunches in London. And she is here now. Welcome, Lois. I'm basically a superstar. The way that you described me, I'm shocked at my own greatness to be honest <laughs> no I'm joking hello obviously hi how's it going it's under the bed? very hot under here Evie and I are recording together under a duvet for the first time for the first time which is lovely but we are sweating it is hot it's bloody boiling I'm in a jumper which I highly highly regret it's very warm on this sunny it's Sunday very- in July congrats on your jumper thank you Thank you. It's a nice lilac. Um, a lilac. Lo, you had a little bit of um, a, a misunderstanding when we sent you your microphone this week. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? You know, there are some things I feel in life that you just can't write or can't expect. So for everyone who doesn't know, which is everyone, apart from myself and Claudia in this situation, Claudia had messaged me after very kindly inviting me onto this show. Thank you very much, both of you. It's very kind. And had messaged me and said, oh, by the way, I'll send you a microphone in the post. And so I thought, oh, that's amazing. You know, I don't receive that much post, I'll be honest. And so expecting something is always a great treat. Anyway, a couple of days passed. 
And I went downstairs to the postal boxes, whatever you call the area in my flat, and there was an envelope about the size of a microphone, handwritten my name. I think that's a very important point to make me have gone where my mind went. And I picked it up and I did one of those wanky things where I took a picture of it because I was then going to send it to you, Claudia, and be like, yay, babe, thanks so much for the microphone, so grateful. Anyway, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't, but I think I got confused. Got in the lift and was like, oh, so great that the microphone's here. I'm so excited to record the podcast. Got upstairs in my flat and like ripped it open and there's still we're still going to send another picture or another thank you message I'm so glad I didn't prior to actually seeing what was in it because I pulled it out and poured it on the table and it was a stool sample pod just on its own in like a pathology specimen plastic bag I was like well it's certainly not a fucking microphone <laughs> that was, that but, was actually uh, yes. us because before every guest comes on with a stool sample we need, it's like a welcome pack we need to know we need to know you're the real deal do you know what? It would be such a nice welcome gift. Honestly, the nicest welcome gift. Like, here's your poo and here's your microphone. Thank you so much. But so shocking. What are the chances? What are the actual chances when I'm expecting a microphone for this show? I get a stool sample pot, which in hindsight, I think I was expecting. But, you know. May we ask uh, the stool sample pot? what was that in aid of were you having more tests done or yeah so it's just it's like a routine thing so because I am in remission with my Crohn's disease at the moment which I'm thrilled about I only ever need to do tests maybe every six months every year at a push and this was kind of my yearly checkup I had my GP not my GP my gastroenterologist call me last week and I didn't know who it was it was like a no number I picked it up and he is very old and very dragon-like. And he was like, oh, no, it's it's Dr. Ramsgate. I don't actually know what his name is. Dr. something. I was like, oh, hi, babe. It's nice to see you again. We've had very private chats. He was just like, you know, how's everything? Tick. Is everything, you know, with your stomach good? Tick. How's your stools recently? Tick. And so then he was just like, I'll send you a, um, a stool sample because it's the only way you can really see if anything's going on. And... Yeah, I just did it last week and I took it in yesterday or the day before and it was all lovely. Um, so, Lewis, you have Crohn's disease. Tell us, what is Crohn's disease? <laughs> I do. Last time I checked, I have it. So, Crohn's disease lives in the darling category of inflammatory bowel disease. And Crohn's is very similar but very different to ulcerative colitis. So, those are the two forms of IBD. So if someone tells you they have IBD, they either have Crohn's or they have colitis, and I have Crohn's. And Crohn's is unique from colitis because Crohn's can affect you anywhere in the digestive tract. So starting from your mouth all the way down to like your bum hole. It can like anywhere in that line that goes through the, the body can get inflamed or infected or diseased which I think is such a weird word but yeah I can get diseased and for me personally it is my lower intestine I think that is like the disease part of the tract um, which is delightful although more recently I think I'm not sure I keep googling it I don't really know who to ask but I think I have Crohn's in the mouth at the moment, but I'm not sure. What makes you think that you have Crohn's in your mouth? I just have a lot of ulcers. I might just have a lot. I just might have bad dental hygiene. I'm not sure, but I have a lot of ulcers. And every time I Google it, it says that Crohn's in the mouth is basically just a lot of ulcers, like all in different parts of your mouth. So like nothing gross. It doesn't like pus or be lumpy, but apparently you just have like 
a ton of ulcers in your mouth, which, you know, makes sense. So that's Crohn's in a nutshell. And most people um, manage it through like various medications. So you can take anything from uh, like anti-inflammatories because basically Crohn's disease is uh, your is an autoimmune disease. So it's your immune system not recognizing something in your body and basically attacking it. So that's what the disease part is. And it can become really ulcerated and really painful. And so for most people to even get diagnosed with Crohn's disease, it takes months and months and months because the symptoms are so various and vast in between. But the, one of the most recognizable ones is if you're going to the toilet with diarrhea like north of 15 times a day like even if you have a sip of water and you need to run to the toilet often like passing blood or mucus all the other glam things that are like pretty difficult to talk about um so yeah it can be quite a debilitating thing for a lot of people but also there's so many fantastic medications and stuff out there now that most people who like live with Crohn's disease have pretty great lives, I'd say. When did you, right? Eight <laughs> out of ten. And when did you get diagnosed with Crohn's disease? Babe, I don't even know. No, I do. It was 2015. So I've had it for five years and it took me so long to bloody get diagnosed with it because at the time, I, amongst a myriad of things, I decided to start my own business and open a shop. And at the time I was working like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I moved to live in Essex with an ex-boyfriend and moved into his family home. So I knew no one apart from him and was like working in this job. And at the time I just thought it was stress. Like I was literally living on a diet of like black coffee seven times a day and was always going to the toilet, like always had diarrhea. But I was like, oh, I'm just stressed or like I'm drinking way too much coffee. But at the same time, you know. I have a business and I can't actually afford to even buy anything else to eat. Yeah, it took a while for me to even realize that those were symptoms that were maybe should be checked out. And like as a young woman as well, I was like, what, 22, 23, whatever five years ago was, 23 maybe. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. I didn't want to talk to a doctor about it. I certainly didn't want to talk to my boyfriend about it. I just like wasn't that type of gal who was like very open of talking about poo or like bowel habits. Like, I don't think I was that girl in school who like, thought poo jokes were funny I always found it like kind of embarrassing and like just it just wasn't my vibe at all so even now I like, just think that I put YouTube videos up talking about my bowel is like complete 180 but yeah at the time obviously being quite young and female and diagnosed as something that is quite unglamorous to talk about was quite hard and I wish I wish there'd been more content out there at the time like if you'd googled it or if you'd have seen someone whose symptoms you related to but Back in 2015, it's not even long ago, but God, there was nothing, literally nothing apart from depressing blog posts and super medical stuff. But, you know, if you Google like pooing blood, it basically tells you you're dying. So it's quite difficult <laughs> to work out what you're meant to do with that information. Like, hmm, write a will. <laughs> <laughs> when you were living with your ex-boyfriend's family, did you say at the time? How did you manage with all these mm. bathroom trips? And like you said, you didn't really want to talk to anybody about it. How did you manage that? Babe, it was absolutely horrendous. It was all, it was absolutely awful because we lived in the family home. So it was me and him and his mum and his stepdad who were lovely. But at the same time, I just wasn't in a place of being comfortable. To, I didn't even tell my boyfriend. So I didn't tell like his parents or his family. But it got to the point where it was so bad that... I would literally bite into whatever his mum, bless her, had made me for dinner. And immediately my stomach would like 
gargle and like start going and I used to think like okay how am I now gonna like run to the toilet like what is my excuse gonna be to to exit or to vacate I would try and hold it in sometimes for as long as possible until it looked like me needing the toilet wasn't associated with going to the toilet but it was it was it was difficult and I can't I can't actually remember how I got through that period of time because at that point I was honestly like going to the toilet with diarrhea over 20 times a day it was constant and like their house was pretty small and there was only one downstairs toilet or like an upstairs bathroom which was next to the parents bedroom and so it was always like okay well that one upstairs is the only one with a window but the one downstairs is the one that was nearest to my bedroom and to the kitchen so there was no real reason for me to go to the upstairs one so I'd have to go to the downstairs one and then I got clever right so I started googling like how to cover up smells in the toilet because also perfume and stuff you can still smell shit through perfume you know what's a real revolting smell like men's aftershave mixed with like poo smells it just smells like this certain kind of guy who you would want to bump into in the street that's not a good smell but what I did used to do which again and a bit of a fire risk. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but I read somewhere that the smell of a freshly uh, like blown out match gets rid of any other smell. So I bought, I went to Sainsbury's, I bought a multi-pack of matches. Honestly, every time I went to the toilet, I would put the matches in my pocket. It was like a small pack and would light a match as I went to the toilet, <laughs> let it burn for a bit and then blow, <laughs> blow it out as I flushed the toilet and just wait for a bit. And then leave the toilet every time. Honestly, every time I lit a match. And I actually have no idea why no one ever asked me why it smelled constantly of smoke. It's quite remarkable just how sort of inventive you have to be in order to cover up something really as basic as not only just going to the toilet, but something that you're suffering with. You know, you've got a disease at the time undiagnosed. And in order to make everybody else comfortable with that, you're having to work out when you can go to the toilet and to cover up the smells when actually it really should be about you and how comfortable you are and anything that is going to improve your symptoms um I feel like a lot of people within the community are extremely accommodating of others because you don't want to like prioritize yourself even though you're the one who is not able to have a bite of food without needing to rush to the toilet yeah Yeah, I mean that was a weird time it was a bad time but also like you know fun like funny in a way and you know oh I'm in I'm in two minds as to whether to admit something that I did every now and then, but oh god, it's quite dark. <laughs> so okay, cut it out. it's too we late. Cut it out. There would be times where I'd like go and have a shower, and I'd be in the shower, and I would just be like, "Well, I can't really keep running." I like I was I was going so often. I was like, "Okay, I can't keep jumping out of the shower to go to the toilet and flushing the toilet and all that stuff." So I just honestly used to shit in the shower. Awful is that. Go down the drain? Yeah, it would go because it was so it was so nothingy that it would just go down the drain. But then everyone else would shower in there, and like I didn't even used to clean that house. I didn't even used to touch the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm just like leave it. Lois is now part of a company that's all to do with cleaning products. So I feel like <laughs> this has really come to literally yeah, bite you in the ass. Plug it while you're here. <laughs> I don't even fucking clean. <laughs> So for the listeners, Lois and I have known each other since we were 11. We went to secondary school together. And Lois was always definitely the glam girl of the group and still very much is and has somehow maintained this. That even when she'll send us pictures when she's literally lying in a hospital bed, I'm like, 
I don't look that great when I went to prom. Like how, you you know, you started your clothes shop as well at the time. Like how did you kind of maintain that sense of importance of feeling glamorous or feeling beautiful or feeling attractive while all this other stuff was going on inside your body? When I was looking about stuff, when I didn't know I had Crohn's disease or when I first actually finally got the diagnosis, there was only, like, when I say there's nothing out there, there was genuinely nothing out there, which is so hard to believe now when there is so many people talking about it and so many platforms and so many like health influencers. But the only things that there were, and I remember it so clearly, was this blog with, if you can call it a blog, it looked like something that someone in like year eight IT had done, like your first HTML website. It was like a black background that stretched the whole way across the screen with red text I think maybe it was like red and purple red text across it and the the one line that just like threw me over the edge was I've I've been diagnosed with Crohn's my life is now over and I was like do you actually know what no I'm not I'm not going to play into this like pity party little card why can't someone who has been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease especially someone like myself who doesn't like talking about this kind of stuff like doesn't feel comfortable talking about bowel conditions why can't I like set a precedent of things being able to like look normal or like look okay and like just just try and give people some hope and some positivity that it's not always like it's not always glamorous oh my god the amount of things that I've had done to me sometimes I think it's very single swimming is it isn't it like you choose how you deal with stuff with anything in life so you can pick to portray it as like this really down in the dumps depressive way and I think sometimes you don't have a choice sometimes things do get really overwhelming and you know there are days where definitely like I definitely portray like a slightly more raw negative side to things but that's just life um I know on your blog I'm gonna read it out actually because I thought it was very good your blog is a list of things that all people living with a chronic illness can relate to. So you say it's developing a fear, learning to listen to your body, scheduling around appointments, overusing of the word fine, and remembering your mental health. Which of those do you think is the most important for people, especially those who have maybe just been diagnosed with Crohn's? Honestly, I must, I don't know when I wrote that, but that was like hearing someone read a new book to me and I like it. I'm subscribing to that. If I had to pick one, because I think it could realistically tie into a lot of them, I would pick listening to your body, because I think that is so important and and covers most of those other points, actually. It's amazing I was able to write five when I could have just said it in one, to be honest. But like, if you listen to your body, it covers so many things. So, you know, everybody is different. I think that's what people really struggle with, with like, conditions that aren't visible and especially with stomach conditions like something that triggers you may not trigger me or something that triggers me today genuinely might not trigger me tomorrow so I think like just listening to your body and knowing what's right for you is so important and not to judge yourself by anybody else's progress or anybody else's failures and often like not even to to, I think to listen to yourself first and then take all other information second so like for example so many people have said like oh I want to become medication free but um like my body just won't allow it but I think I might do it anyway like I get a lot of messages like that because I no longer take medication and it's like I get the intent I get why you don't want to take medication or xyz but if your body is telling you that you need this medication then actually you kind of need to suppress like your own maybe moral high ground sometimes and just do what's right for your own body ditto if you know that like 
you can't have chocolate milkshakes anymore. If someone offers you a chocolate milkshake and says, no, 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 but it's be fine. Like this one's dairy free or this one's doesn't have any sugar in it. If you know that's going to trigger you some, and it's hard. I think it's like a practice. It's like practicing saying, like what I say, like saying that you're not fine all the time. It's just getting into the habit of listening to what your body's telling you. You know, if you are running for the toilet every time you have a chicken breast, maybe you don't have a chicken breast anymore. As hard as that might be, if chicken is your favorite food, you just sometimes have to like take a step back from your own stubbornness towards our own health and think about like what is right for you. That's a really interesting point that I think a lot of the time, sometimes we sort of succumb to the pressure of, oh yeah, you can have this Prosecco. Oh, go on, go on. And they feel that it's a dietary choice or that you're buying into a fad or you don't want to, you're being difficult. But actually a lot of the time it's just, we know ourselves and we know we can eat the pea risotto. How um, did you get diagnosed? And what were the kind of symptoms that you were seeing every day that kind of led you to go get diagnosed at the doctors? So I as I mentioned, was going through a stressful time anyway. So went for maybe five months before even acknowledging that like I had any kind of symptoms or that anything was wrong with me. So like months passed of like having diarrhea, probably 20 to 30 times a day, like really, really bad. Just months, just let it happen. Didn't do anything about it lost a ton of weight. Looking back on photos now of me at that time, I was shockingly thin. Like I went down, I'm not, I'm normally like a nine stoner, not that you should ever like check yourself by weight, but just to be able to be able to compare like how much weight I'd lost without even really realizing I'd gone down to like below seven stones. I'd lost like an easy two stone of just not being able to keep any food in ever at all. But like I didn't notice and I didn't think anything was particularly wrong. Anyway, it got to the point where I was like, I I like can't live my life like this anymore. I joined a gym. This is, I think, was one of my breaking points. And Claudia knows I hate exercise. I hate the gym. I'm not an athletic person. But I'd like mustered myself to go to the gym. And I like got on the treadmill and I could run no more than 20 seconds without needing to run off and run to the toilet. Like the exercise just out everything just aggravated it. You know, eating, running, breathing. I was like, okay, <laughs> this is obviously not getting better. I think I'm gonna need to see someone. So I saw the doctor. I must have had six to eight doctor's appointments back and forth of nothing happening. You know, it was the first time it was, oh, maybe you're just intolerant to something. Cut out all these different foods. Next time it was keep a food diary. Then it was this. Then it was that. Then it was, you know, take some buscapan. Just nothing was happening. And it got to the point where um, I'd gone in for... I think it was maybe my seventh or eighth doctor's appointment. And the doctor was like, right, we'll do a, we'll have a look up your bum. And so did the whole, and he had a huge, this is what I remember so clearly. I was like, not used to this process. And he, you know, take, we'll get a female nurse in. I think they have to do that. Take off all your like bottom clothes, you know, put your knees up to your chest, like hug your knees. So you feel very exposed. Like just everything's exposed at that point, by the way, like not just your bum, like your vagina is also very exposed. It's like a very open process, which I think people underestimate sometimes how vulnerable you can feel in that position. And the guy, he was very sweet. I think he was South African. Can't remember. He was like, right, I'm just going to put a gloved finger on now. Put this glove on. He had huge fingers. I kid you not, like sausages. They were so thick. It was 
I'm traumatized remembering the size of his finger. I'm just going to put the glove on now. And then he was like, in just a little bit of Vaseline and kind of did this. No one can see me apart from you. like swirled his finger. And I was, I was terrified. I was on my own. I didn't even think I'd told my boyfriend I was going at the time. He had a very bad relationship. And I saw his finger, this swirling sausage of Vaseline approaching me. And I mean... I've been there, you know, sexually. I'm not afraid to say it, but this was not like that. I'm just going to say it now. This was not like that at all. You were like, I've at done all. my homework and was... this is nothing like the test. <laughs> <laughs> this is not how my boyfriend does it, doctor. Like, it was not. It was not how I imagined. But anyway, nothing came from that. He was like, I can't see anything. I can't see anything that's wrong apart from we have a few um, hemorrhoids. And I was like, I don't even know what a bloody hemorrhoid is. I had to go home, look that up. That's also not glamorous. He was like, oh, you're obviously going to the toilet a lot. I was like, yeah, no shit, I'm going to the toilet a lot. That's why I'm here. It got to a final doctor's appointment where I went in. I, I was at breaking points. So I was like, look, I'm not going to leave this doctor's office. I think sometimes, especially sometimes as women, I feel like we can be very passive and just kind of accept what people tell us and be apologetic. Sometimes as women as well, if you go in with, um, it could be any symptom, they basically offer you a pregnancy test. And if it comes back negative, they send you home. And we have a friend who has Crohn's disease and she was uh, went through a long process and they told her that she had homesickness. She had internalised homesickness. She turns out to have had Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, this is a bit of a running joke between me and my boyfriend, but he once uh, uh, went to the doctor to see had heartburn and they called a fucking ambulance. Yeah. Well, and I was like, what the fuck? I like, was... you have to go to like seven or eight appointments as a, a woman for them in order to, like, to, take, to take you seriously sometimes. I was taken in the back of an ambulance to A&E. Um, and with they, <laughs> with heart, I was homesick. Um, <laughs> 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 um, because of a, a separate thing that I had with nerve damage um, and I'd had a, almost like the flare-up of nerve damage if you can that's a whole other episode that we'll go into but um, it was enough for me to end up having a panic attack and me to kind of go in and out of consciousness and be taken to um, A&E and then when I got there the doctor just said he was like I think you're just feeling a bit emotional and that was it um, my sister was with me and she was furious but I at that point was like no because I've had this so many times like especially with male doctors I am so used to going in with a problem and them telling me what's wrong and me knowing that they've got they've misunderstood they're wrong and me just leaving it Yes, yeah. I, I think you know. I've got to obviously say the NHS are amazing and being able to have all these tests done for free. And mm. you know, but obviously the NHS is fantastic. And I'm not trying to. Drag no, we're them. not slagging the NHS. Not trying to slag them, but it is quite frustrating. I think sometimes when you like basically what you said before is you're saying, "Oh, I'm going to the toilet a lot," and they've said to you, "Oh, you've got hemorrhoids. You're going to the toilet a lot." I've just come in with that information. I'm asking for new information. A hundred percent. And you're looking for someone. I think what's what's sad in those situations as well it's like you're going there because you want help and especially for something like a bowel condition like it's it takes enough guts to go there in the first place and to sit down and to talk about these symptoms to so to always be shrugged off or always be turned away it's like oh my god but we do it I'm so guilty of it it's all the prior to the eighth appointment I'd be like okay yeah sure thank you thank you so much sorry for your time and it got to the point and like I'm not mm, I can be sassy sometimes when I'm in the mood to be sassy but I was not particularly sassy at the time and then it got to the, the eighth appointment I think it was and I was like no I'm like this is not this isn't happening blah 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 and I could see like this turn in his face like oh okay she's not taking shit sure but rather than Again, he still didn't even know what it was. He was like, right, 
I can see, and this is quite dark in a way, he was like, I can see from your family history that um, you've got like a really, really high risk of being at cancer, of any form of cancer. So what I'm going to do is send you to the hospital for a bowel cancer test. And I was like, (laughs) wow, this has just gone from no one believing me to now, I, and I knew he was doing it so that some action could be taken. But at the same time, your head then goes to, oh my God, do I have bowel cancer now? And you know, you have to then wait for the referral. You have to then go to the appointment and I got referred to the hospital. And I think it wasn't, luckily it wasn't that long to wait. It was maybe two or three weeks. And then going to this hospital, sitting in this waiting room, seeing being in the corridor with all these posters for people who've been diagnosed with cancer and you know it's like a 21 22 year old girl it's pretty fucking terrifying and I had no one with me and I was like oh my god this is awful and going in and then doing a I don't even know what it's called something where they pump air into you do you know oh I don't know what it's called the pumper upper the pumper upper the air pump of the arm is it is it like a little probe and they yeah I can't yes. remember we'll put it in the show notes also this process whatever it was called I can't remember this air process was beyond painful they pump you so full of gas you honestly feel like you are going to explode and like not in like a bloated stomach way in parts of your body that you didn't even know were there feeling like they're gonna pop and you've got you've got you're, you're naked you're full of air. You've got someone looking up your bum. You've got another. I had another guy holding my hand, and I was crying. And luckily, that then triggered. He was like, "Right, you don't have cancer, but I will now refer you to gastroenterology, and I think they'll probably book you in for a colonoscopy because that's realistically the only way that we can tell if you have Crohn's or not." And actually, what's important mentioning is a colonoscopy is is the only way you will ever be diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis because prior to this, and again, which just shows, I had had so many blood tests and I'd done multiple stool samples and still nothing, still had not been referred because it was like, oh, you've got like a little bit of inflammation, but not a lot. And then when I had my colonoscopy, they're like, yes, you 100% have Crohn's disease. Here's the medication. Go live the rest of your life. So yeah, it was a long, laborious process of tears and tantrums. <laughs> you are a strong yeah. lady as well to do all of that on your own. That is unbelievable. Now <laughs> you are in remission. How has that changed your life? How, how does this change your life day to day? It's amazing. Do you know? It's absolutely God's gift to IBD is the remission card. But... So I just, I don't know how I'm in remission, if I'm, if I'm totally honest. I was totally reliant for the last couple of years on steroids, so on prednisolone, which just inflates your face. It made me a complete insomniac. So I would never, like never sleep at night. Would maybe get one hour between six and seven and then go to work every single day. I was like a mess. And every time they wean you off a bit, like my symptoms would come back up. So then I have to go on another course. And I think they can only by health prescribe I think it's like three or four courses a year for you to be on steroids before they say like you need to be on something else because it's not healthy to be on back-to-back steroids you can't manage your illness just on steroids alone so I got put on azathioprine which is an immunosuppressant and that was great it was so great for my Crohn's it literally changed my life it takes ages for it to kick in I think like six weeks and 
you can get really weird side effects. So at the time of me going on azathioprine, I was having um, withdrawal effects from prednisolone because my body was so used to it. So it was like a drug addict. I was getting like sick. I was sweating all the time and was suddenly going on this different medication, uh, which was super strong. And the, the side effects that they read you about these things, I mean, you'd get it if you, even if you read the side effects of cowpole you'd probably never take cowpox because you'd freak out but you do these things they tell you to read the side effects and it was things like hair loss and um you know increased sun sensitivity so like real susceptible to, to burning just like in the daytime and like getting sick really easily because your immune system had been completely repressed and I was like oh <laughs> God, damn this is like a bit of a scary medication like I'm not sure if I want to take it took it totally sorted out my Crohn's like my life was amazing. I was like, this is so great. I like ate anything I wanted. I drank anything I wanted. I was at that time in my life, like going out all the time, like four or five nights a week, which is probably very unhealthy, but it was just having the best time. And then I suddenly got a cold, right? I got a cold, peasantry cold, and it lasted for three months. This cold did not go away. I got sick for a while and I was suddenly more sick from a cold than I was from my Crohn's. And I was like, oh gosh, now I'm now thinking about my life. And maybe I had an epiphany, maybe something came to me in a dream. But I suddenly got really freaked out about taking such strong medication that even though it was putting my Crohn's in remission, I was suddenly having this whole other myriad of different side effects. So, you know, like unable to fight a cold and my hair was falling out really badly. So I was kind of like, you know, I was thinking like, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I'm like swapping in one sickness for another, which doesn't really make sense to me. And also, you know, with Crohn's and colitis and, and any kind of bladder or bowel issue, they're totally internal most of the time. So you can't see, you can't daily monitor it. You can't actively see how it's doing or like check in have a little conversation with it so I just got a bit freaked out about having medication like I said it was so out the blue I'm not I've never been you know anti-medicine or anti-tablets or any of that stuff I'd pop paracetamol like there was no tomorrow but there's just something in me that was suddenly just felt really uncomfortable with taking medication so I decided to do a little bit of research about you know natural healing the gut I got so obsessed with gut health and gut research and finding all sorts of things out about you know diet lifestyle blah 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 one of which was about a whole food plant-based diet and like normally I'd look at these things and think what a bunch of wankers like really really are you telling me to eat a lettuce and I'll be cured of all sins but I was like, I'm going to give it a go. Like, I'm going to try it. I'm going to switch my, my diet to like a vegan diet. I'm going to try and be less stressed. So, you know, be more mindful. I'm going to try and exercise more and just, just what's the worst that can happen. I'm going to be healthier. Like that's, that's the worst that could happen. So I just did it. And that was the last time I took a pill for my Crohn's. And that was two and a half years ago, nearly three years ago. And I have no, I honestly have no idea how I magically stayed in remission. And I'm touching wood now because it's so divine. And the fact that you can then still, um, with your platform of gut instinct, talk to people who then might be in a similar issue or still, because of everything you went through, still be able to relate to people that are still 
taking medication or might be taking steroids. You have this kind of wealth of knowledge now that I'm sure so many people appreciate that they can speak to you about. So Lois, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. You just need to search gutinstinct.blog. And that's the name of the website as well. It's gutinstinct.blog. And if you go to YouTube and type in great gal with Crohn's, I'll probably come up there as well. Thank you so, so much for your time and your insights. It's been really, really fantastic to have you. Thank you. Thanks, gals, for having me. It's been a sweaty pleasure. I cannot wait to get on dress. <laughs> I bet you also can't wait for the farewell goodie bag if we sent you a stool sample. You said actually our stools. <laughs> you're welcome. Keep an eye on the post. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. Let's talk about pooing. So this is the part of the show where we read out some of our turd tales sent into us by our amazing listeners. Thank you so much for those of you that have sent them in. And also, can I just chip in and say thank you so much for the correspondence we have? It's been really, really positive. And so many of you saying really, really kind things. Um, so yeah, thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate it. I really do. Evie, before we tell our turd tale, yeah. I have to tell you something that I heard this week. Okay. That I can't stop thinking about it. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> so um, it was told to me through a friend. Who, she heard it from a friend, but I'll just tell you it as it is straight. So this girl, <laughs> this girl had moved in with a new um, house of girls. And I think she was, she was Scandinavian. I can't remember from exactly where. Um, and they said she was quite quiet, quite reserved, um, but she seemed really lovely. And they were obviously, you know, going to give her some time to get into the vibe of the flat. Anyway, uh, one of the girls is coming out of the kitchen and and this girl suddenly, <laughs> this Scandinavian girl says, everything's so great in the flat, um, but could you just tell me where you keep your poo knife? <laughs> and the flatmate says, sorry? She says, your, your poo knife, where do you keep it? I can't find it in the bathroom. What the fuck is a poo knife? <laughs> I feel like I'm missing it. And so it played out that... I'm not, I'm not, you know, suggesting that any country, um, that this is a utensil that is used. Maybe it is. If, if this is something, please do write into us if this is something that we were not aware of. If you're in Sweden, do you have a poo knife? But maybe this was a tradition from her country, but she has a poo knife from back home and she'd left hers at home, unfortunately, where you can chop up your fuck poo. Off. Fuck off. So, <laughs> fuck off. So that it will flush more easily <gasps> down the toilet. What the fuck? Ah. Oh my God, I hate it. But also, not only was she worried about where her poo knife was, she wanted to know where the communal, like, you know, you'd be like, oh, where's the whisk? <laughs> she wanted to know where the house poo knife was. <laughs> I want to, we're going to have to Google this, see what they look like. Do you want me to do it right now? Yeah, let's Google it. Let's look up poo knife. Scandinavian poo knife? Scandinavian. Poo knife. Oh my God. Do you mean Scandinavian poop knife? knife? Of course, that's what we sure. <gasps> it looks like a hacksaw. What is a poop knife used for? A rusty old knife that hung from a piece of string in the laundry room. <gasps> Oh my God, equidistant from each of the three bathrooms. When a bowel-stopping turd happened, they'd request the poop knife <laughs> and use to break up the turd bug into manageable pieces before flushing. Can we, sorry, the next question is, how do I sell my poop? 
<laughs> Can we get a picture of this knife? This pig knife. It looks. Images. I just saw a quick one there. It looks like a hacksaw. Oh, it's just like a knife. Can she not have used something else? Yeah, I'm surely there's other, but maybe you need it to be sharp. Um, I just can't believe that. I'm really. I just couldn't. When I texted you about it earlier, and you said, "Wait till you reveal it on the podcast." Yeah. I'm so glad I did because I knew that this was a humdinger that we might not ever experience Fucking on our episodes. Hell, I can't believe that. So yeah, please let us know if you if you have a poop knife. Please. And like, you know, do they come in different colours? Do you jazz yours up? How big does the poo have to be in order to get the, the poop knife in? Guys, got to go get the poop knife. <laughs> that's when you know when it's a... If, 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 she, if she's asking where the poop knife is, that's basically an admittance that she's just done a fucking huge shit. I don't, I don't know how we can move on from this, but I'm gonna... I, I think that could be it for the week, really. Ah! So just leave it here. Well, I would, but I know that I have an amazing turd tale Do that you? was sent to us this week, and I have to read it to okay, you. Okay, Claudia, what is the turd tale of the week? Okie dokie. Is there a poop knife in it? Oh my God, I wish there was a poop knife in it. Is it still... No, it will still be worth it. Yeah. If not, I'll just invent that there was one. Fantastic, I don't okay. It's like um, Cluedo. You know, Mrs. Peacock in the... <laughs> In the kitchen with the poop knife. <laughs> okay, this uh, story is entitled Tedge Troubles. One evening on my travels around Ethiopia, I was in a bar merrily sipping on Tedge, a type of honey wine, and shaking my shoulders in a poor attempt to mimic the beautiful woman of Lalibella. I believe that's how you say it. I don't know. But I think sure. it is. It looks nice. Where we had spent the day hiking. Little did I know that later that evening I would be waking in a sleeping bag full of sweat to vomit my guts up. The night porter eventually found me crawling around the guest house, dry mouthed, desperately raiding the kitchen and common areas for more water. He asked me if I'd had Tedge that evening. I'd had one glass. Foreigners not do too well with Tedge, the crinkled old man said to me with sympathetic eyes. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Morning came and I hadn't left the toilet, but we were due to visit the famous cross-shaped churches carved into the rocks. So I summoned my remaining strength and tried not to defile anything holy. Our guide continued to tell me how foreigners should be careful with Tedge. I glared at him. I'd had one glass. (laughs) My presence itself was disturbing others and I was feeling progressively deathly. So we cut our trip short and headed to the airport to get back to the capital. I cried the entire time. Any remnant of life or energy slipping loosely away from me while my stomach cramped and my intestines twisted into knots. Dramatic, I know, but it turned out that Satan had in fact lodged himself into my gut in the form of various diseases and parasites and was getting ready to smite the actual crap out of me. So much for a hangover. Miraculously, I survived the tin can flight to Addis Ababa without punishing any other passengers. But it was there in the airport that things got messy. Please no. My loyal friend Emma sat patiently with our luggage while I committed absolute atrocities in the baggage claim bathroom. <laughs> the stench penetrated the entire halls. Tears filled travellers' eyes and babies cried while my poor, loyal friend sat there inhaling the carnage, unable to flee. After 20 minutes, I thought I was done. I thought I was safe to leave so we could take a taxi to our hostel and I could wallow in shame. I was wrong. We left the baggage claim hall and I made the fatal mistake of bending down to grab my wallet. It was then that it happened. 
Like the gates of hell, my ass burst open in a flame of fury. I tied a jumper to my waist and I timidly turned to the security guard at the exit. I begged him to let me back through the now abandoned bathroom where I could continue my crime away from the eyes, but unfortunately not the noses of the public. He stood tall with the kind of pride that I knew I would not know again for a good while and said, no, you shall not pass. <laughs> it's fucking Gandalf. It's fucking Gandalf with a poo knife. <laughs> he pointed me to the security gates, to the queues of local families piling up all their worldly possessions onto the conveyor belts. And I knew that this was just the beginning of my humiliation. I queued because that is what British people do, even when they have soiled themselves. (laughs) I reached the part where you walk through the security arch and I was told to remove the jumper from my waist. Oh, God. I'd rather not, I said. Urgency in my voice. Desperation in my eyes and diarrhea in my pants. Remove your jumper, ma'am. Oh, my. Good. Thank you so much for sending that in. And also, just as a side note, this, this anonymous, lovely person that wrote in also told us that she then had Shigella. She was admitted into hospital after she'd been sent back home from Ethiopia and was incredibly unwell and lost a stone in weight. Sorry, what is Shigella? Uh, it's a disease caused by um, parasites. Oh, no. Inside, and so then I'm guessing that's why so much came out of the poor love. So it wasn't the, what was the drink called? It wasn't the Tej. So Apparently the Tej. there is suspicion that it might have been um, something to do with raw camel. Oh, no, thanks. Bless her, she oh. sent us a whole lovely, lovely long book, essentially, and we may have to read out the rest another time. But Thank I, you so much for sending that in. I'm very, she left it on quite a cliffhanger she as well. <laughs> Take it off your waist. Take it off your waist, please. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a story. Evie, do you have um, another story sent in to us by one of our listeners? Yes, I have a short little story for you here. The person who has uh, emailed in says, I have one for you. I have interstitial cystitis and sometimes get really bad flare-ups. So the first year I was with my current and lovely partner. (laughs) She says, my current partner. That's uh, borderline pessimistic. (laughs) My current partner. He's helping. (laughs) He took me to the zoo for my birthday for a cute little birthday day out lo and behold I wake up with that familiar feeling of pain in my groin and wee hole area but it was my birthday and I wasn't gonna let that stop me I stuffed myself full of ibuprofen and paracetamol and went off to the zoo once we got there it was all right for a bit but I had to pee like a million times an hour and nothing comes out we went to see the giraffes and we had to queue up for about an hour for an unexpectedly long time because giraffes are apparently the most popular animal at the zoo by this time I already needed another wee once we got to the top and saw the giraffes I couldn't hold in this tiny bit of wee any longer and I ended up wetting myself while staring into the lovely eyes of a giraffe no uh, she then had to tell, uh, I then had to tell my new boyfriend that I'd wet myself at the zoo on my birthday <laughs> and thank you but could we please wrap things up and go home poor me poor him guess we'll have to go back one day but I'm not sure I agree with the zoo anymore good luck with the podcast oh bless I feel very very sorry for you I think have you ever had cystitis I get cystitis on the regs like so much so that when uh we were looking for what flats to rent in London my only thing that had to come with the flat was a bath because I often find myself at three o'clock in the morning sat in the bath because that is the only thing that will calm me down when I've got horrendous cystitis and I actually 
saw an article on Glamour magazine a couple of weeks ago that talks about a new uh, kind of, not a herbal remedy, but a natural remedy um, for cystitis that everybody is going mad about. Catelyn Morant has tweeted about it uh, only two months ago, so I think it is quite new. It's called D-Manose, and it's a kind of sugar related to glucose, and it helps to prevent certain kinds of bacteria from sticking to the walls of the urinary tract and causing infection. And you can get it in health food shops, pharmacies, or online retailers like Amazon. I'm going to try it the next time I get that horrible twinge of doom, which I'm sure is probably not far away because I get it all the time. Um, And I'll let you guys know, but obviously as well, consult your healthcare professional to check which dosage you should get especially if you have diabetes um, as it is sugar Um, but I will let you know how I get on because I know so many people that suffer all the time with cystitis it is horrid so if there is something out there that can be more helpful then that would be delightful yeah we should definitely cover more of this in the future because I don't know a single woman that has not had cystitis in their lifetime and it's pretty unpleasant but thank you so much for your story on the zoo Um, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy it the zoo again soon. <laughs> I wonder what that giraffe was thinking. I oh god, I love giraffes. Do you? I met one once in Cyprus called Anastasia, and they do have lovely eyes and a nice smile. Do you mean you met one? Well, I went to ride one. You rode a giraffe. Oh no, I'm thinking of camels. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. Different animal. It's a camel. I'm so embarrassed for you. After <laughs> everything that's happened on this podcast, I feel really embarrassed <laughs> for you about that. I think I was still thinking about the raw camel meat. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Let's go with that. Okay. If you're a camel, uh, have you ever been mistaken for a giraffe? Email us in on the podcast official at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, but yeah, please do write in about anything at all. Uh, or if in fact you're a giraffe and you've been mistaken for a camel, let us know as well. Or if you're a giraffe and you want to transition into being a camel. <laughs> Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>